Hey, it's Tamika Montgomery, wife and mother to three crazy little boys and host of the podcast, Raising Entrepreneurs. You're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers. This is Amy J. And you are listening to episode 113 of Chasing Dreams. I'm so happy you guys are here today. I have a fellow Marylander and a new friend here on the show, and I'm stoked because she's also a new fellow podcaster. Tamika Montgomery is the founder of the podcast Raising Entrepreneurs, a parent's guide to fostering an entrepreneurial mindset. In 2013, President Obama appointed Tamika to lead the U.S. Small Business Administration Office of Entrepreneurial Development, where she was responsible for a budget of more than $160 million to deliver training and technical assistance programming to the nation's 28 million small businesses. First of all, I had no idea there were that many. In 2015, the Washington Post named online named Tamika one of the 19 most influential people in D.C. who can affect your small business. Prior to her presidential appointment, Tamika led the award-winning and nationally recognized Denver Metro Small Business Development Center. She is a graduate of Spelman College and Columbia University and holds an honorary doctorate in entrepreneurship from Johnson & Wales University. Tamika now calls the D.C. metro area her home, where she lives with her husband, Jonathan, and her three young entrepreneurial sons, who are also guinea pigs of sorts for her podcast, Raising Entrepreneurs. And she is taking a break to come on the show and talk about what she has going on. Tamika, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. Well, how could I not have you? Fellow Marylander, you're doing some amazing things. And we have to talk about your podcast at some point because congratulations, you just launched as of this recording yesterday. Yesterday. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Kudos. That thank is you, fantastic. Way to pull the trigger there. Yes. Woo, I said by hook or crook, it was coming out. Now, before we go too d- deep down the podcast hole, how long were you in prep to launch? Um, probably a couple of months. Okay. Yeah, I would say a couple of months. Yeah. Was this, well, I need to launch at some point. I'm just going to put this date down. Or was this intended yes. to be the launch date? Well, no. What happened was when I went to the podcast movement conference, that's what made me say, okay, let's get a drop dead date. Good. Um, Yeah. I was like, I really need a date. And I had some speaking engagements. And so I said, you know what, I should have this launch prior to my speaking engagements. And so that's what I was trying to do. So going to the conference was that motivation and then also upcoming engagements also. So let's talk about Tamika Montgomery for a second before we talk about what Tamika Montgomery's doing essentially for the next generation. Mm-hmm. 
What did you want to be when you were young? Gosh. <laughs> Come on, you knew that question had to yeah, come up at some point. <laughs> you know, I think at one point, like probably many kids, I wanted to be an actress, you know, like a superstar. And then I wanted to be like investigative reporter, Ooh. like a news reporter. A journalist? Yes, a journalist. And But investigative, that was really intriguing to me. Um, so, yeah, so I majored in English in college, thinking that I might want to do that until I realized from having to write so many papers that I really didn't like that. And I didn't like that deadline, like, oh, you got to write another paper. You got to write another paper. So that kind of squashed that one. <laughs> Which is funny because now you're you're podcasting, so there's only deadlines in your future, right? Exactly, exact. And you know, I, at least for me, I have to write up the I write up the scripts to a certain degree. So I'm like, okay, look, there, there you go, deadlines in writing. So you just didn't like it necessarily in that original form, and you found it in a different way. Yes, isn't that crazy? It totally happens? is. I mean. The thing, it's funny how you're attracted and you find the things that interest you. It just comes not necessarily in the form you expect it. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Well, so when you were in college, you know, when you were at Spelman or Columbia, what did you, what were you pursuing? Yeah. So when I went to Spelman, I was an English major, but not because there was any thought behind it, to be honest. I was a first generation college student. And so I didn't, I wasn't really, I knew I was going to go to college, but no one really sat down with me and said, okay, let's figure out what it is that you want to do. And does this school provide, you know, have, does this school have these majors that would align with what you wanted to, what you want to study? You know, it wasn't like that. I went to Spelman kind of on a fluke. (laughs) And when I was there, I didn't realize that Spelman was a liberal arts college because I didn't know I didn't know those types of things. Mm -hmm. And so I get to Spelman. It's a liberal arts college. You got to declare a major. A lot of my friends were in the science majors and I was like, that's not for me. (laughs) And so and then they didn't have like a communications major because it's a liberal arts school. They don't that's not the type of major. So I was like, okay, well, I guess English. So that's how I ended up an English major. Well, that's not a. (laughs) Huh. Yep. I didn't see that coming, to be honest. (laughs) But then what? So so you went after that. So after that, what do you do? Because you graduate and this is this is what you have. Did you know what you were going to do next? Yeah, no. (laughs) So you know what, Amy, it's so interesting because when I talk about that fluke, if you if you don't mind, like going to Spelman was this fluke for me because I wanted to go to an HBCU, a historically black college. And and I didn't even know, I didn't even really grow up knowing about HBCUs. It was kind of by happenstance that um, a friend of mine had found out about this fair. I grew up in Colorado and in a part of Colorado that really didn't have a lot of black people. So my friend found this um, black college, black student college fair. So we went to this fair 
And there were the recruiters and I saw this table with a whole bunch of guys there. And I was like, oh, that's the table. I, I want to go to that school. <laughs> that's the school I want to go to. So I go to that table to get the information. And the guy is like, um, I think you need to be at that table over there. Well, I was at Morehouse's table, which is an oh. all-male college. He directed me to Spelman. So First of all, that's how I found out about Spelman. Okay. So then when it came time to apply to schools, I applied to Spelman and Hampton University. Hampton was my first choice because it was co-ed. I was like, who wants to go to an all-girls college? Not me. And so I applied to both, got accepted into both. Hampton said, you're accepted. Send a check for $545 to reserve your spot. Spellman said, you're accepted. Send a check for $100 to reserve your spot. I was like, well, guess I'm going to Spellman. So that's how I ended up at Spellman. I told you how I ended up with my major. And so then after Spellman, I ended up joining the Peace Corps. And the way that that came about was I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated from Spelman because I didn't I didn't want to be a teacher, you know, because when you think about an English major, there were a lot of English majors at Spelman who also did like early childhood education kind of areas of focus. And so I knew I wasn't I didn't want to do that. I wasn't ready to go to graduate school. And I needed something different. And it just so happened that one summer, I think it was the summer of my junior year. I think it was the summer of junior year. I was back at home working. And a woman I was working for, she was taking her daughter off for a few days. She was taking a few days off to take her daughter off because her daughter was going to be joining the Peace Corps and going to Africa for two years. And I had never heard of the Peace Corps. Mm And so I went home and I said, Mom, um, you know, Maggie's going, her daughter's going to Africa for two years. What, what is the Peace Corps? And my mother said, oh, that's just something rich white people get to do. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Hmm. I think I want to check that out. <laughs> and I researched it and I was like, that seems like fun because I'm figuring like if rich white people do that, it must be something that's really fun and interesting. Right. So I researched it and decided to apply. And I felt like it was the perfect time because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated, but I knew I didn't want to just get a job. So it offered a great opportunity to travel, learn another language, put something on my resume that I thought that future employers would really value. So that's what I did. But you were happy doing it. I mean, I did. You learned yeah, about it. It's new. Were you happy? Yeah, I mean, Peace Corps back then they had a commercial called "The Toughest." It, the slogan was "The Toughest Job You'll Ever Love," and it's hard. I mean, I had never been out the country. That was my first time leaving the country, and so it was challenging just being put in that situation and you don't know anybody, you don't know the culture, you're young. I left, I graduated from college in June and left in July. So yeah, it was, it was challenging. It was hard, but it was good. Um, I met like my best friend today. Oh, you met her at the podcast movement conference. We were in Peace Corps together, Fanshin. She was also in the Peace Corps? Yes, that's where we met. That's how we met. Oh, wow. Guys, we hope to have Fanshin on the show. Yes, you have to have her. Go tell her that. (laughs) Remind her. (laughs) Yes, I will. Yes, you have got to have Fanshin on the show. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, no, it was good. And, you know, Fanshin, 
she'll tell you it was hard. It was, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's hard. It's emotional. I think everything when you're, I think when you're dropped into an, a, a foreign environment, a different environment, sure. so radically different that everything, the smallest thing brings so much emotion to it. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Um, but it was good. I'm glad I did it for sure. It's one of those experiences where once you go through it, you one look back and you're like, I don't know how I survived. <laughs> and two, that was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and I think people have it in different ways. But I have a one of my best friends also did the Peace Corps and also has something similar to say like you about her experience. Mm-hmm. And it's it's life changing. And mm-hmm. but, you know. It's one of those things she's like, I learned a lot about myself just mm-hmm. as much as skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a big advocate for Peace Corps. And I believe people of color, more people of color should join the Peace Corps because you go to these countries. And for me, at least from my experience, they had a hard time believing that I was American. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're exposed to, what they see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know, you know, people would ask, "Oh, so your your mother is from here?" I'm like, "No, my mother is American." Oh, okay. So your grandmother is from here? I'm like, "No, my grandmother is American." Your great? I'm like, "No, she's American." They're like, "You're pure American?" I'm like, "As much as anybody else." Yes. <laughs> wow. As I mean, it also it changes your perspective, right? To th- yes, to realize that that's how some people see us, mm-hmm. or how mm-hmm. you were seen. In particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you come back, right, mm-hmm. take us through how you ended up working at in Denver. Yeah. So how did that come about? Yeah. So when I um when I came back from Peace Corps, I went in that's when I moved to New York for graduate school. And when I finished graduate school, I had the opportunity to come to DC to work for the federal government. So I was working for the Department of Justice for the Office of Juvenile Justice. And that's um, not an easy. Yeah, it was. Well, you know what? I worked on the federal level. And so it's more policy. And um, so I would travel and go out and visit jails and lockups to make sure that they were following kind of federal guidelines on how to retain young people. Um, and then also I would do site visits on juvenile delinquency, pro- delinquency prevention programs um, since our agency gave them funding um, in order to deliver those programs. So that was the type of work that I was doing. And it sounds neat and exciting, but it, I was like, you know what? Federal work isn't really for me. I just I it just I, I you know, I just got out of graduate school and I'm like, go, 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 go. And it just felt monotonous to me. I just felt like this is not the right thing for me. And so I was actually in a program. It was called the Presidential Management Fellows. And it's a two-year program designed to be kind of this fast track into upper levels of management in federal government. So they bring in a, a cohort of recent graduates from law school and master's programs. And you get your pick of agencies that you want to work for. And over the two years, your agency invests in you. You get to rotate into other agencies. You get tons of additional training and you get all these perks for two years. 
with the in your salary, you know, in the federal world, um, employee were, you know, their grades. And so in each grade has a step. Um, so you go 10 steps and then you move up to the next grade um, sometimes. And so with this program is a fast track. So you just jumped grades each year. Oh wow! And yeah. And so it's a two year program. So for two years, your agency, your home agency is investing in you and doing all this. And then after the two years, you just kind of convert into a regular federal employee. And their hope is that you've enjoyed your time and experience that you'll just stay there with them after they've invested in you. Well, I did the two years and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I I quit. And so I moved back to Colorado. So that was in 2000, the end of 2000. Picked up my bags and moved back to Colorado. And within a month of being in Colorado, I met a woman who had acquired like a 37 acre development. Um, and she was going to be redeveloping. It was the Army's Finance and Accounting Center. It had been. And she was going to redevelop it into a number, redevelop a number of buildings into early childhood center, health clinic, a bank, some mm-hmm. you know industrial space. But there was one building, a 26,000 square foot building that she wanted to turn into a business incubator. She hired me to launch a business incubator. And so I did that. So that's how I got into the small business world, small business assistance world, was opening up that business incubator in Northeast Denver um, a number of years ago. And so that's, you know, so from there, I, you know, left there and went to another organization and ran the Small Business Development Center. And during that time was when my center was recognized as the number one SBDC. So there are about close to a thousand SBDCs across the United States. So in 2012, mine got that um, recognition as the number one in the nation. And, um, and then probably shortly after that, I moved on from the SBDC and became the head of a foundation, a leadership foundation. And it was shortly while in that position, I would say I was probably maybe six months or seven months into that position when I got a call from a man I had briefly met in D.C. He was a, a executive at SBA, kind of an appointed person at SBA. And I had had an, an encounter with him and he called me and said, um, hey, there's, you know, do you know about presidential appointments? And I was like, huh? Well, I know of them. <laughs> uh, he says, well, you know, and he just began to talk about how when he met me, he thought that there was a lot that I could offer and, you know, asked me if I would be interested in learning more. So didn't tell me what the opportunity was, but just asked me if I was interested in learning more about um, working within the administration. And so I was like, sure. And um, the rest is history. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You met this gentleman who yeah. essentially changed your life, right? Yeah, I know. He essentially yeah. changed your life. So shout yeah. outs to him. Yes. When you met him, right? Because it, it, you made it sound like you didn't have a lot, a, a long interaction or a significant interaction. How long w- would you say you guys kind of interacted? Right. So I, I gave a very, very abbreviated version. So what happened was I told you my SBDC had gotten that number one recognition. 
Um, well, I had heard it, it had come to my attention that in another part of the state that there was going to be this event taking place and there was going to be a high level SBA official going to be attending that event. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go and introduce myself, you know, and, you know, whatever, bring him a bag of swag or whatever. So I go there and I introduce myself to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm the number one SBDC in the nation. And he and I just got to chit chatting. And he said, oh, have you ever considered working for the government? And I was like, oh, you know, been there, done that. <laughs> not interested, <laughs> not interested in doing that again. And I, I say, yeah, I used to be a presidential management fellow. He's like, oh, we love presidential management fellows, you know. And and um, so he said, because um, the plan was that I was going to be going to D.C. in May to accept the award. He said, when you come to D.C., let's have a conversation. So I was like, OK. You know, so I get to D.C., go to his office. We have a conversation. And the conversation was actually about a career position at SBA that was opening up. And he was um, like, you know, said, I think you'd be a good fit for this position. And the position was um, to a career role to lead the SBDC program from a national level. Um because the SBA funds that program. And so it's one of the largest kind of programs that SBA funds on the technical training and technical assistance side. So it was that position that he said, it's gonna be coming out. I think you'd be great for it. So I was like, oh, okay, hmm, maybe, you know. So I leave DC, the position opens up, it hits the street. I applied for the position. At that same time, another position opened up in Denver to be the head, to be the executive director of the Denver Metro Chamber Leadership Foundation. Uh-huh. What? So I applied to both positions, but you know, you're in, you're out here. Government takes a long time. It, I've been there, done that. Yes. It takes a long time. And so I got the job as the head of the foundation and was excited about it. So the day that I started, I called SBA and I hadn't heard from SBA. And I said, hey, I'd like to pull my name um, from being considered. And they're like, oh, you're our number one candidate. Can you come out next week? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm good. I've made my decision. And so then he calls me up and he says, Tamika, you know, would you reconsider, you know? And I was like, no, you know, I just started. I'm happy with the decision I've made. I'm good. And he's like, oh, okay. So that was the last time I spoke to him. And then seven months later, he calls me up. And when he called me, it was March of 2013. And so, you know, the president had just been reelected for his yep. second term. Yeah. Uh, well, not just, but, you know, the second term had pretty much just started. Two months. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so then he calls me up and he says, hey, you know, you know, when I met you, I thought you'd be great for the agency. And I still think you would be. The president has just gotten reelected. You know, would you be interested in having a conversation? And so that's how the conversation began. And it turned out, which I didn't know, because when we first spoke, he didn't say what position he was interested in that he thought I'd be a good fit for. Turns out it was for his position. So he. Yeah. So he was my predecessor. And and. The position that I ended up taking, his position, is over the position that he had um, initially told me about. 
So it's interesting. While I turned down, I chose not to pursue that career federal position. Right. It ended up that that career federal position reported to me in my new role. Yeah. So so I ended up being over that program plus, you know, some other because I became over the entire office, not just the sub office within the larger. If that makes sense. So what I love about this, right, is this really goes to show you the power of networking and (laughs) initiative. Yes. Right. Because you've left an impression on this man who didn't want to take your no for an answer. Right, right. He was like, not Tamika. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is the one. This is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And while it took some time for that to play out, that's amazing. Yeah. Honestly, you know, Amy, I, I think it was all God because the way it happened, I mean, I was it it was just perfectly orchestrated. And when you think about it, he had been in his role. He start. He came on at the beginning of the administration, right? And so, like I said, I had met him two times, right? Once was, hey, you know, I'm Tamika, da 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 da. The second time was, I was there to accept the award. Stopped by his office and we chatted. Right. And so he had been with the administration really pretty much since the beginning. And you'd think there were many people that he knew from his past life or even during those two years that he had had a relationship with, I'm sure. But yet he remembered me (laughs) from a two chance, you know, two kind of very brief meetings and pursued me to take over his role. That's amazing. Like, you're such a shining example of what people could do. Of of your story is just an example of what you can do if one you're nice. I mean, you, yeah. you left a great impression. I think that's a testament to who you are. Mm-hmm. Not, not that you acted a certain way, but you were just mm-hmm. who you were. Right. And you know, it left a lasting impression for him to to be connected like this. And and congratulations, even though that's only like a part of your life, and we're still going. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other part of it, it's being open, right? Open because, you know, truthfully, when I got that call, I had only been in my new role for, I think, like I said, seven months or so. And so I kind of wasn't sure because I was like, well, I just started this new role and kind of felt guilty, you know, trying leaving a job. And so when he said, you know, are you interested in learning more and discussing this further, I was like, well, let me get back to you. And I was talking to my husband. My husband's like, um, it's Barack Obama. Yeah. Why are you hesitating to me? Right. Why are you hesitating? Did you right. hit your head? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he like give you a look like. <laughs> he was what? like, uh, yeah, you're interested. <laughs> so he's like, please. He's like, your board of directors, they will understand. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So it was. It, yeah. And it, so it was. stoked that you took it, stoked that you went through it. And here you are, you have all this experience and background in entrepreneurship mm-hmm. with your time in the SBA, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not something you intended when you were in high school, not something you intended when you left college, Mm-mm. really not something you intended. And yet here today, yesterday, you launch a podcast called Raising Entrepreneurs. Yes. 
your kids are essentially the subject of this. It's not that there's the subject of it, but you're, you're helping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm learning how to parent. Yeah. And raise up these young men into entrepreneurs. What led to this idea? I'm trying to think what led, you know what, what led to it was early on, early on, I think like when my oldest was like two years old or three years old, my husband and I, we just decided we wanted to parent our child differently from what we had been seeing other people do. Um, and really differently from the way that we had been raised. And what I mean is we really wanted to raise him up to be financially aware and financially independent. And so for me, working in this space of entrepreneurship you know, I think we admire entrepreneurs for their initiative and kind of their perseverance to press through um, challenges. And so I knew, you know, those are behaviors and, and characteristics that I wanted to cultivate in my children. And so, so it was, that's how we that's how we kind of got into this. And so because we were trying to raise up kids who really were financially independent, what that meant was that we weren't giving our, we decided we're not going to just give you money, our kids, you have to, you have to earn money and you need to, we're going to obviously support you in that and kind of guide you in it, but really trying to encourage it. And, and when you do that, the natural path is to entrepreneurship. I mean, if you don't give a kid an allowance and they want something, then they're going to have to figure out how to earn that money. And so that is the, the door opening into entrepreneurship. So we did that with our boys at a very young age. And And you actually share a story about that on the prologue of your podcast. Yeah. With your eldest son. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to, Give it away. You guys should listen to it. It's a wonderful story. Um, spoiler alert: he ma- he raises the money himself. Yes, yes. In order to visit his grandmother. Yes, yep. And to go back you guys to can listen for the details in her prologue. The links will be in the show notes. Thank but you. But what an yeah. amazing story that mm-hmm. he see. I don't want to give away like the feel good moments of it, but that <laughs> he did it himself. Yep. Yep. And it's so empowering. And I think also it helps us as parents to see what our kids are really capable of doing. And it also helps them to see what they're capable of doing. Because one of the things I've observed over these like 17 years of developing programs for entrepreneurs is that you can have two individuals, right? And you can say, okay, well, here's the information you need to get your business off the ground. One of those individuals will do all of those things. They're going to be on it. The other individual may not. They may fiddle around with it, kind of go back, you know, hesitate, doubt, and just not really move or progress forward. And a lot of that is really around fear. I mean, we all have fear, but it's around fear that to the point where it's causing one to 
it's it's shaping the direction and the decisions. And so I've seen entrepreneurs do that. And I believe that we all have the, the potential, but it's the way that we, our mindset, what we think of ourselves. And I'm thinking, this is my experiment with my boys, I guess. I'm like, well, if I rewire their thinking early, if I begin to create grooves in pathways in their thinking and behavior early, then when they become adults, these types of things don't won't raise up fear. They'd be like, oh, let me, I did this when I was a kid. <laughs> I know how to do this. I've, I've done this before. I've been there. And so that memory will come into play. That's what I'm hoping. You know, we'll have to do this in like, what, 15 years or so. And I can tell you if it really worked, but that's the plan. Do they have an interest? They have an interest in earning money. I mean, that's for my boys right now. That's the motivation. Like they know they like having their own money. My mother, um, she lives out here now. And uh, I just dropped her. I had dropped her off the airport last week. And she was telling me that um, she had my boys and they went someplace and my middle son she had bought, he wanted, I don't know, maybe it was a Lego or something. I can't recall, but he wanted something and he didn't have enough money on him. And so she got it for him. Well, I guess a few days later, she had come by and he's like, oh, Nana, here, here's your $4 um, for the toy. And she's like, oh, you don't have to pay me back. He's like, no, I, I want to Here, Here's your $4. She's like, okay. And, um, and my oldest son, she was sharing how she was out with him. And he has this money clip that I got him at the White House that has President Obama's signature on it. So he carries his money clip with his own money all the time. And it he's empowered. They are empowered. And so for them, I think similar to us as adults, you know, we recognize that in order to eat, we must work. And and so we work now. If we enjoy our work, that's great. Sometimes we don't enjoy our work, but we know that we need to work in order to earn sure. money to provide for ourselves. And it's kind of like the same thing with our boys. So it kind of that's where it started. That's where it started. Um, I think, and they're pretty young. And so I think as they go along because that's how they think, they'll begin to think up ideas of things that they really enjoy doing. So right now they have a business. Aspects of it they enjoy, other aspects of it they don't, but they're learning. But they always like to look at their financials and see how much money they've earned. I'm curious to see how this turns out. And it's interesting. I mean, you have a wonderful show and how you are presenting each episode. As I said, you know, I feel like you're a guide in the oh, story, God. right? It's, it's been one episode and a prologue, but I feel like you're kind of guiding people like, hey, here it is. And you're not giving advice or sharing mm -hmm. experts that you yourself aren't going to try with your kids. So it's Correct. like, there's that authenticity. There's that reason why I would listen to it. I don't have kids, guys, but if I did, <laughs> you know, with my nieces or nephews or something like that, and they showed an interest, that would be the thing. But I, I love what you're doing and you're do you seem very passionate about it. I mean, your kids, but just in general with helping others and combining your knowledge. Is that kind of how you feel this is going? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. My husband and I, we were talking the other day. Do you remember the book? 
I'm dating myself. What color is your parachute? Yes. Yeah. So I remember taking, I like doing those sorts of assessments. I did too. I'm like, done everything. Um, But um, I remember I did one of those and I remember in high school or something, I'd done something and it said that you should be a teacher or something. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. You know, I'm not interested in teaching. Mind you, I, when I was in Peace Corps, I was a teacher. I didn't share that with you, but it all comes back up somehow, right? right. It does. It does. But um, I was telling my husband about that. I was sharing that with him. And I was like, it's funny because one, my work in entrepreneurship has always been around entrepreneurial development. So delivering training and technical assistance and designing those type of programs or policies around the education of entrepreneurs, right? And this podcast is also an education resource, but for parents, right? And so I I just think it's interesting that you talk about that being that guide and delivering instruction because it really is my desire Because I think all children are capable of this. And it's my and I believe as parents, it's it's our responsibility to prepare our kids for this. I mean, there are certain things that we kind of leave it to the schools to do. But I think that the home is a great environment and a great place and a great training ground for our children in this place. And I want parents to feel like they are equipped and are able to guide their children, even if they don't want their children to be business owners, if that's not their interest. Um, you know, I, I've worked with people or I've hired people who have zero initiative, mm-hmm. you know, and well, that's not a show about that itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who I mean, I don't want to raise up children like that. I don't like working with people like that. And I would say that probably most parents would want to raise up children who are not that person. Yeah, we definitely could talk about that. That'd be like shows upon itself, not even just an episode. We could do a show on that. Yeah. Um, just have people talk about their experiences. But I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I will say this because you just said that they don't have to be an entrepreneur. Your show is actually, while entrepreneur, entrepreneurial facing and focused, mm-hmm. the things I learned in that first episode could apply to anyone, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and could apply to anyone who has a dream that doesn't have the talent necessarily. Because you were talking about, you know, practice hours and uh, it was mm-hmm. very interesting. As I got to tell you, you got to check it out because she brought experts in to, to discuss this. And that's amazing. That's cool. And I think it's wonderful what you're doing. And I'm stoked to see what happens and how your kids fare out. And I look forward to seeing where how that goes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Tamika, before I let you go, I have to ask. Yes. What is one thing, one action you would tell someone who's chasing their dreams to take today? Move forward. <laughs> Do something. Um, yeah, that's it. Do something. Move forward on it. I like it. Short, sweet, to the point. And there's really, it's very hard to kind of confuse that or, you know, understand yeah. that. Yeah. Just do it. You know, in that Nike's um, slogan, just do it. Yeah. Cliches are cliches for a reason, right, guys? <laughs> Tamika, thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing your wonderful story and insight into your dream chase. 
Thank you, Amy. It was great. I had so much fun. Thank you. Well, Dream Chasers, how awesome is Tamika Montgomery? What a great story, right? I mean, just from where she started, where she has been, how she got there, what she's doing now. Definitely recommend you check out Raising Entrepreneurs. Um, It's a fantastic podcast. I've enjoyed it so far. And I think you will, too. You can find the links to the show, her show, and all the other stuff we talked about over on the show notes page at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 113. That's episode 113. Until next time, Dream Chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.